0: The podcast you're about to hear is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths, in particular Sally Hardesty and her invalid brother Franklin, as retold to you by two other youths. It is all the more tragic in that they were young, but had they lived very, very long lives, they could not have expected, nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and the macabre as they were to see that day. For them... An idyllic summer afternoon drive became a nightmare. The events of that day led to the making of one of the most acclaimed and terrifying horror films in the annals of film history, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Welcome to The Final Girls Podcast. I'm Anna Bogutska, co-founder of The Final Girls Collective and your podcast host. If you're new to the show, welcome. In real life, The Final Girls put on events and screenings that explore the intersections of horror film and feminism. And on the show, we take a horror trope and we rip it apart, rummage around in its thematic entrails and figure out why it works, does it hold up, and what it says about wider horror. This is the first episode in our fourth series, which is going to be our longest one yet and an exploration of teen horror, how it's evolved and why teenagers, and especially teenage girls, make some of the most compelling protagonists in horror films. Before we dive into our film this week, a quick reminder, we are on Twitter and Instagram at the Final Ghost UK, and we do have a Patreon, like Whole Millennials, where you can support our work, getting occasional bonus episodes and other goodies. But no pressure, all of our main season will continue to be free on this feed. We're starting our teen horror season with arguably one of the most fertile and creative decades for horror filmmaking. The 1970s, also known as the Golden Age of the slasher. But before we get to Halloween, before we go to Carrie's bloody prom party, we have to talk about Toby Hooper's 1974 Texas Chainsaw Massacre. here Stop! Stop! This is the
1: movie
0: One of the most lauded and influential horror films of all time, it spawned a franchise of films, remakes, video games, gave us an unforgettable final girl, and one of the most iconic horror killers, the cannibalistic Leatherface, loosely inspired by the real-life serial killer Ed Gein, who, much like Leatherface, had a knack for making decorations out of human flesh and also killing people. If you're new to the show, please know we spoil pretty much everything from the very beginning. So if you're versed to conversations about a film that you haven't watched yet, and if you haven't watched The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I'm so excited for you to experience this film for the first time. Go watch it, listen back to this episode, and let us know what you thought. Joining me on the first episode of this new series on teen horror is the wondrous writer and actor Isora Barbara Brown, who not only reduced me to tears of laughter in this episode, but also has written beautifully about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the Bloody Women film journal. I'll link to her pieces in the show notes, and I really encourage everyone to follow Isora's writing on horror. With all of that said, join us for our deep dive into the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Welcome back onto the podcast, and especially welcome to the first episode of the fourth series, which is going to be all about teen Yes, horror.
1: I'm very excited about this season, very, very excited. I'm excited
0: too, I'm very excited. I think this might be the season that ends me, because it's going to run until June next year, which seemed very funny when I was planning it, and now I'm a little bit concerned. <laughs>
1: Nah, you got this. So many, like, I love this. Um, I've seen the list of films. I'm very excited for, like, each and every single one. We also, like, we, we, we were tweeting about The Hole recently, because it just got put on Netflix, yeah. which I feel like could be thrown in the mix.
0: It's a Patreon special. <laughs> we get to dust off my DVD of The Hole. <laughs> I can't wait.
1: <laughs> because it is just like, I was like, I forgot about this film. I'm like, this one was bonkers. But, um, so I'm very excited. And some of my favourite horror films are teen horror films.
0: There's a lot. And and some of the, when I was researching the season, one of the things that I started thinking is like, are some of these kind of classic horror films, classic slashers as well, are they teen horror? So we're going to start with potentially a controversial choice. We're, I'm doing this chronologically for the most part, so... Chronologically, we have to start here. um So, do you think the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, before we dive into the film itself and your relationship with it, is it a teen horror?
1: Probably just in there, because I reckon they're like at least maybe one or two of them are 19, and like a couple of the others are 20. Mm-hmm. But they're like, on the verge of adulthood there's certainly not people who are like we're adults with our shit together and we have jobs and stuff like they're definitely like of that vibe of like college students or so i'm gonna say yes and i also feel like it's a granddaddy of like slasher films so i'm just like you know what like it's it's ripe for like all the other films in the genre it kind of so i i think it counts i'm, I'm saying officially this is canon now <laughs> it counts
0: <laughs> yeah i think the the first few episodes <laughs> that we're gonna do are kind of these absolutely hyper influential horror films from the 70s yeah. texas Ch- and they kind of came in very quick succession and we're looking at each other as well texas chainsaw massacre halloween carrie all of the the nightmare on mm-hmm. elm street all of them except texas are very explicitly mm. about the teenage experience so right. i'm really choosing to because as you say it's the granddaddy of slasher films let's make texas chainsaw massacre uh, let's make texas chainsaw massacre a canonical teen horror film because it fits they're on their gap year
1: the final girls have done it it's fit it's official <laughs> um alert whoever you need to alert <laughs> We've made it
0: official. And then the Wikipedia pages, <laughs> it's officially a tune yeah. for <laughs> So you've mentioned many times how much you love this film. Um can you talk a little bit about your relationship with the Texas Chainsaw horror mask with the Texas Chainsaw yeah, Massacre? I'm, I'm-, <laughs> I'm gonna really struggle pronouncing this. You're
1: just like adding words every single time. <laughs> yeah. You're like um the texas specifically dallas <laughs> <laughs> maybe near houston the houston chainsaw <laughs>
0: massacre what is your relationship with it <laughs>
1: um, um i love it like you said i've said many times to anyone who will listen how much i love this film. It's my favorite ever horror film the first time i saw it was when i was a teenager i was 14 i believe was i 14 I think I was younger than this. No, I wasn't fourteen. I was younger than that. I think I was like nine or ten. Wow. Uh, my brother was older, and yeah, it was. I was really young. Um, or maybe I was fourteen. I don't know. I was young. I was too young to see it. <laughs> Me and my brother recorded it off the TV. We knew it was coming on, um, like in the evening. We had to plan our deep, uh, like, a time our VCR. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we recorded it and watched it, and were both really freaked out, and were like, we were too young to see this. <laughs> that was horrifying, <laughs> but then I've watched it like a million times after that, and I it's just there's just nothing like it as far as I'm concerned. and um, it just holds up in a way that other films of like that time necessarily I don't know don't necessarily hold up, especially a horror, mm. especially a horror that's so specific to time, like to the time and place it's set. um it just works really well still. And it's my favorite, just for like, it still feels new. Like the stuff it's doing, the stuff it does throughout the film, the ways it's actually like scary, still mm. feel really new to me, and unusual, and fresh. And there's always something that like you notice, like when you re- watch it again. And and I've watched, I literally can't know how many times I've watched it. I love it so much. Um, yeah, big fan.
0: <laughs> As I've mentioned in the introduction, there. Obviously this is going to go into detail about the film and but can you set the scene for anyone who might not have rewatched it recently like what is the what is the Texas changed Massacre about like who are the lead, lead characters what's happening to them Right
1: So it's about so basically it starts with this kind of it's like a radio news story about um a grave being or like I guess this one, the news story is particularly about this new grave atrocity where they have dug up parts of a body and like made a kind of weird like body sculpture on top of a grave. Like they've desecrated graves, and it's been happening. And it's in a specifically specific graveyard in Texas. So this group of kids, namely Sally and Franklin, the ones they name in the in the prologue, which is uh, who their granddaddy's like buried in the. Was I am saying granddaddy instead of granddad? I don't know. But like... <laughs> it's like a new thing. But their, um, their granddad is buried in the cemetery that has been one of the places that's, you know, the graves have been dug up. So they're going to check that their granddad's grave is, is still fine. And while they're doing that, they decide to also go to their grandfather's old abandoned house and check it out. Yeah, they're driving in a VW, va- VW van and they, they go to their granddad's old abandoned, like, overgrown, like, dilapidated house um and it's based on Ed Gein who was a serial killer
0: he did arts and crafts with bits of human skin
1: so that's where it sets they're it's really hot it's like middle of nowhere Texas a scary Texas it's not like oh Austin Texas it's like no here's scary Texas actually um yeah and they're just like driving around it's the 70s they're like kind of hippies, kind of, and they're a bit like you know, not really concerned about anything. They're just going on this trip, and they they're not really worried. They have no cares in the world until they do. That's what
0: happens. I love that. I mean, okay, <laughs> we're set up. This is now we're gonna get into the massacre part. We've covered the textures part. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you you mentioned kind of at the start that you you feel like this horror film is so of its time and was so original for the time in which it was made as well so this was I think this came out in 1974 but it's set um Mm -hmm. in August 1973 and was shot around that time as well what makes you say that how is it so indicative and emblematic of America in the 1970s
1: well, the minute you see the what we're calling for this podcast teens, um, they are they're just they just you know when something just looks like an era, there's just no mistaking what era it is. It's also that thing of horror films where there's so much that happens that couldn't happen now, couldn't happen at a certain like even like a few years later, just there's no real connection to anything else. Once you get to that part of like the country you're really isolated, actually. Um, there's nothing close by. Um, phones are scarce. Um, and it's also indicative of the era of like, when people did hitchhike a lot, like around America, um, when it wasn't weird to pick up hitchhikers, when it wasn't weird to just go on like massive drives with your friends in your van and and just for like no apparent reason. Like, do you mean, and it, you know, you weren't flying somewhere. You weren't, you know, oh, we'll just get like, the train or whatever it was like no we drive around we're kind of carefree about it we don't have to plan this out too Mm -hmm. much we're not really scared of certain things like this is before we knew about not before we it definitely was happening like people were being murdered people were being like snatched or whatever but they weren't as big it's not something that people were scared about actively Mm -hmm. like we are now like we were like not that long after like maybe 10 to 15 years after that where it became like a thing of like oh shit like people snatching rape and murder people um so there's just this feeling of like zero cares and zero real worry about mm. them um and even the points when they do get worried mm. like when Sally and Franklin are left on their own it's not it doesn't feel like a fear like oh someone's hurt them or something it's more like a they're lost like and we want to go. Maybe someone's fallen and got hurt. Maybe I mean it's more that fear, and it doesn't seem to ever cross their mind that someone would have just been out to hurt them. Um, Yeah, it's
0: that sort of lack of assuming the worst, and also lack of um distrust. Because right now, and Mm. you're right, like even a few years after um in the in the eighties. You would automatically distrust a creepy looking hitchhiker. And they kind of see and mention at the beginning of the of the film when they pick up the hitchhiker, it's like, oh no, he's a little bit weird looking. Maybe let's not. But they still do, because it's it's the it's the yeah. American thing to do. It's the correct thing to do. Yeah. It's neighborly. And there's even when he's starting to creep them out and weird them out, they're still not like they're scared, but they're not assuming he's gonna come for them or hurt them in any way that they cannot kind of handle or that he's just being a little bit odd there's no point where they kind of think oh he is full on gonna murder us or he has marked our van in order to send a sign to someone else which was instinctively the first thing I thought of whenever I was watching the film today I was like oh yeah like he marked right. the van so he everybody the rest of his family would know which van they had to go after but at at the time, right. it was just like, oh, he he smushed um, you know, he's he put some blood on our van. How annoying for us. There's no further yeah. um worrying about it. And and I wonder as well, kind of, how do you think that initial introduction, the storytelling aspect, the bit, the kind of the prologue where it sets the date and it basically sets us up for violence where it says this was this atrocious, mad, macabre thing that happened to these young people. And it's kind of, it's not telling us who who gets killed, but it's kind of implied by that introduction that everyone's going to die. How do you yeah. think that kind of feeds into the weird kind of almost true crimey vibe that the film has from the very beginning?
1: I think it works really well because you go in in the same way... <laughs> Which is not an obvious comparison, but in the same ways that Star Wars like sets you up, you're like, yeah, <laughs> okay, here's my long like like wordy prologue bit, and you go, okay, I know where I am now, and then you you can relax, you can be like, okay, I get it, I'm ready. Talk to me more about space, <laughs> and like the same way you're like, okay, I get it, I get the backstory to this, and I think it helps having both like the written thing and the screen mm. read out. And then also the radio, like news, because I'm just like it feels mm-hmm. real. They kind of get like the exposition out the way, like right at the beginning, and they're like, and now you're just going to watch it like like a voyeur almost. Like it's not going to be cinematic, cinematic in a way you're expecting necessarily. It's like, like I think you just like documentary style. Mm-hmm. Like so, it, that at no point do you really get. I don't know, there's no real we don't know anything about these kids apart from their granddad's house is there and he's buried there and that Franklin and Sally are brother and sister and that maybe this guy's her boyfriend and like this other people a couple, but literally there's not really any exposition. We don't know anything about the family who like end up murdering them like in detail and I like that Mm -hmm. I like they're like no this is this is just what it is if you were just watching this as a person watching this happen you wouldn't have all these details they talk like they know each other which isn't in a way that gives you a lot of detail about their history or how they met or their lives um and I really love that because films cannot they love exposition now they're just like, let me just drop in this line about how we know each other. Or like, let me call someone sis or bro for no reason. And it's like, <laughs> really? Because <laughs> no, really. I'm like, I have a brother. Never once have I been like in public, like bro. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> so it's, I, I, I really love it. I really love that they do that set up. It just kind of gives you enough information to go, to leave you to be in that world of the film. Um, and you don't need more.
0: And it also gives you a perfect blank canvas onto which to project yourself, because mm. um the, the lead characters, the kids, they're they're kind of we don't get too much information about them or even the relationship between them or even what they're like character-wise, which yeah. means that you can essentially empathize and project yourself onto any one of them. And and the same, mm-hmm. I mean we'll get into the family in a bit, but we also don't we're not told that much. We kind of are left to fill in the blanks, and part of it just feels so like a creepy fly on the wall documentary, and it's kind of shot in yeah. that way. And at the same time, it's really like it it's playing on what I imagine at that time in mid seventies America, were also just the the rumblings or the the, the end of the sixties had happened, the Manson murders had already happened, kind of the hippie love bubble had been burst very violently and now all of these stories about these atrocities that were being committed both by individuals so like serial killers and people like that who we're now obsessed with even decades later you know let's not forget there was the Zodiac Killer in the 70s as well uh the um Ted Bundy I think is more the 70s and then he'd get apprehended in the 80s so like it's kind of a a big Boom, or at least people being caught for their crimes that were horrific and really captured the, the public mm. imagination. And at the same time, there's also, you know, the government um, lying quite openly to the American public and that also being exposed, which essentially meant that mm. all of these, you know, culturally, there was this weird conflation of, oh, the people who told us that everything was okay and that we're supposed to, supposed to trust are actually lying and also maybe Mm -hmm. people generally are kind of scary as well like all of these things that are going on literally behind closed doors literally in the middle of um in the middle of nowhere in small towns um people who were kind of the local the local harmless creepy dudes like Ed Gein was considered uh, in his small town where he Mm. lived and grew up Like, oh, yeah, Ed's a bit weird, but, you know, he's harmless. Turns out, not so harmless. Not so harmless at all. So it kind of throws the shade of of doubt across everyone. And it means that the characters kind of are completely replaceable. Because it could be Sally, it could be Frank, and it could be um, you or me. It could be anyone. Like, it's so easy to empathize with them because they're essentially blank canvases. And I don't mean that in the sense of, like... Uh, taking away from the performances because we, we will not talk about Marilyn Burns and, and her performance in particular because fuck my life. That was amazing.
1: I know. But you know, it's just like, I think what you mean, it's like they're not special. Yes. And I think there's that thing of like, they want to make, oh, the reason this has happened to me is because these people are special. Like, no, they're not special. They're regular people. And even the fact that they don't, they didn't do that thing with like, this one's the chatty one. This one's the above. It's like, no, they're they're all quite similar because that's why they're friends, mm-hmm. probably um because they're quite similar quite kind of boring regular people and that's what's scary about it is that it could happen to any one of you and like none of them special enough that you're like well this one's gonna be the one that survives mm. it's like who knows all of the, the first time you watched that film you really couldn't tell who's gonna who's gonna mm. die first who's gonna survive and i feel like with a lot of other films you can tell you're like he's yep. gonna die first she's gonna survive and then they they use that and then flip it on the set it's like in this one you really it could be any one of them um and you wouldn't be surprised if all of them died um yeah so i think you're right it's just like that none of them are special they didn't make any of them like stand out it's like no they're regular and that's what's so scary they're just having a regular old time and
0: actually kind of picking up on your point it it's kind of quietly rewatching. it's like oh it's Kirk who gets murdered first, and obviously Sally mm-hmm. is the final girl. But Franklin is also, I believe, the the penultimate one to get killed. So actually, it's kind of looking, it's yeah. killing the people who we least expect to be who the characters who we expect to be the less vulnerable ones. They're the ones to go out first, first of all. Yeah, um, and I kind of wanted to to talk as well about the. Um, the structure of the film because it really struck me for a film that's under 90 minutes long which is kind of incredible Yeah. Um, and also hurrah like no more two and a half hour long films please <laughs> I'm, I don't have time for that Um, no. it's kind of like quite solidly divided in two right because there's the beginning where it's it's everything is in the daylight which we'll, we'll come to but they pick up this hitchhiker and things get a little bit weird and then there's the first murders and we see Leatherface and then there's a very distinct i thought second part which is after Sally's first escape when she thinks she finds safety in the gas station and then gets captured by essentially the daddy of the leatherface family um and yeah. taken back into that house and kind of has the dinner scene and the second wave of of violence that the film goes um what did you think of um what do you think of the film kind of being so almost very neatly separated
1: um, I really like it, because it really, like, it is a short film, but you feel mm. every single minute of this film. Like, so when Sally first, so Franklin gets murdered by Leatherface, and then the noise of that chainsaw, <laughs> she's just being chased by Leatherface for ages. It feels like ages, and the sound of a chainsaw and just her screaming, and you're literally just, I've just never, <laughs> it's so distressing, and then it abruptly stops when she reaches the gas station, the barbecue place, and you're like... The relief you feel. So I think it they put you through what Sally's going through because you feel the relief with her. You realise something's wrong with her, and then you're just, like, the kind of resigned distraught that she is because you're just like, like, what? Like, how do you... <laughs> there's no way out of this now, like, surely... And then it's, like, all, all mostly in the house after that, which is very different from what we see. It's not, like, running and chasing. It's just kind of this horrifying dinner scene, um, mm-hmm. which is just, a, like, a, tiny, a tonal shift. You get to, see, like, this family dynamic, this bizarro, like, family dynamic that she's just witnessing the same way we're witnessing it. And you're just, like, exhausted. <laughs> and you're just, like, how is she going to... It feels hopeless. And it feels like it's it feels like too much, and I think it's a really because you you go through it with her, like you really they really make the most of every single minute. Like they make the most of every single mm-hmm. character in this film. No character is a small character in this film. There's no bit parts. There's no like someone who's on screen for like a minute is like really remem- memorable. Like really stands out. Um, and I think they do the same with every moment of this film of story. They're like oh no, Like it's going to be relentless until it's not until she actually gets out of there it's going to be horrifying so let's
0: talk about that very strange family and especially the dinner scene because talk about comedy horror I I couldn't help but laugh. Like, it's that sort of tension where it's like, I I mean, obviously I've seen this film before, but I haven't rewatched it as many times as you. And it's like, oh, this is funny, but also, holy shit, this is like the worst Christmas dinner you can possibly imagine. And it's bizarrely, pla- like, it's framed like an all-American Christmas dinner. Leatherface, bless yeah. his heart, is all dressed up in a blue suit. Ugh. And a tie. What a bumpkin.
1: What a little bumpkin.
0: Like we'll, we'll,
1: He's like, just. Mm. He's playing mummy also as well. He's like trying to get the dinner on the table. He's like a very. He's like you know. wants everyone to have a nice time. <laughs>
0: he's been. <laughs> he's been cooking so the chicken for like hours.
1: <laughs> he's been in the kitchen. He's just like. So everyone had to sit down and have a nice time. Sally's kind of ruining it. I mean, <laughs> not appreciating the ambiance of the evening that Leatherface is trying to put on. But like, yeah, it's weird because it's like, this is a this is a scene we recognise, but there's nothing recognisable about it. So it's gone, here's a dinner scene, here's a family dinner scene. And it's just like, nothing is in its right place. Like, all of these things are not like the other. You know, you're just like, I don't know. And it, But you really get a sense of what they're like as a family. Mm. Which is the 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 more odd thing about it. it's like I really understand this dynamic, somehow, um, so, because it's really clear because everyone's doing such good performance.
0: So what is the dynamic of this um of the Leatherface family?
1: So <laughs> Leatherface is like kind of the baby and the mummy at the same time. Like he's like at home, he's like making home, <laughs> like he's making the house nice <laughs> with All these bones and like crafts. <laughs> and um but he's also like this kind of like nervous like mu- like baby character that needs kind of looking after um um the hitchhiker is kind of the annoying adolescent son who is just coming into like manhood who's trying to take over from daddy who is the guy who runs the barbecue and gas place and like adolescent son is like really excitable loves the murder loves talking about murder, um, you know, is saying stuff that's kind of awkward for the dinner table. Like, he keeps saying to, like, the daddy character, like, he keeps being like, "Um, you don't do anything. He's like, we do all the killing. Me and Leatherface do all the killing. What do you do? You're just the cook because he cooks a barbecue. And he's just like, "Does all you do. Like, you don't do any of the hard work. So he's, like, saying all the awkward, (laughs) the things that are not polite to talk about at the dinner table. The dad's, like, kind of enjoying the excitement of everything but it's also like okay guys you know what everyone calm every now and again he like gets into it he's a bit like oh this is fun and he's like you know what everyone actually calm down everyone stop screaming making incoherent noises like let's all just enjoy a nice meal
0: <laughs> and there's a grandpa <laughs>
1: and then poor Paul- oh there's grandpa who's rotting away in the corner grandpa who is literally half rotten but is still the patriarch because that's all he does. He's just the, like the oldest man of the family, so he's still the patriarch at the head of the table, even though he he can't do anything. Yeah, he need um, he needs to then, get the first like, piece of
0: chicken, and by chicken I mean Sally. Yeah,
1: the first piece. of Oh my god, he does it. Oh my god, and like Sally's this guest who's being kind of rude. <laughs> she's not picked up on any of the social cues at this dinner. Like, the a, audacity the of dynamic Sally. She <laughs> won't stop screaming, making it awkward <laughs> fare. She won't sit still or stop screaming. It's very uncomfortable. Leatherface is just like all of a fuss. He's just like, oh, guys, please, can we just have a nice time? Every time Sally screams, Leatherface screams, and he's just like, oh. <laughs> His nerves. He needs to valiant like his other face. He's like, you know what? I've just tried really hard, and it's really upsetting me. <laughs> no
0: I looked up the nigella recipe. I've been, sli- I've been slaving away in the kitchen for fucking he's hours.
1: Done so much work all day. <sighs> like you haven't even tried you know it. What actually? Hitchhiker's taking. He's taking credit for murders. Like what murders did you do, hitchhiker man? You've done none today it's been all leatherface Mm -hmm. so i'm just like actually he's done all the work he's not getting any of the real credit um and then he gets blamed for like the door being broken he's like the dads just trying to blame him for stuff he's like an angry husband who comes home and he's like you've done something wrong here and leatherface has just been like spending his day trying to like murder all the people who keep turning up and like cook a nice meal um so yeah, it's like a really weird dynamic, but they 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 all play a role and they all know what their role is.
0: I wanted to talk specifically about Leatherface because when we were talking before hit and record, you did mention that you have a a soft spot for for mm-hmm. our good boy, good cook Leatherface, and
1: our good boy Leatherface. <laughs> I just feel like he doesn't know any different. I don't like, feel like it's his fault.
0: I want to I talk about like how he evolves from essentially well three things. Right? Really. Okay, this is like a, a big three-part question slash conversation okay. starter. When we meet Leatherface in the film, he literally mm. boinks Kirk on the head. It was like boom, you're dead. Drags him away into his little arts and crafts cellar, and then we see right. Leatherface put the other girl on a meat hook, like, horrible, violent shit, like, he is a, he's a, he's a, he's a villain, he's the murderer of the film. And then, it's good boy Leatherface at the dinner table, who's trying so hard, (laughs) trying so hard to please the family, and then there's everything that Leatherface became, so, like, it's such an amazing character, goes through such a journey, and then, like, post this film's release, and obviously it's Legacy, we can talk about later, but what do you what do you love so much about Leatherface and how he how he originates and changes in this film?
1: He's not like because even though he's like literally a faceless killer, right? We never see his actual face. Um, he's not like your Michael Myers or your I don't know that guy at the summer camp with these um, Freddie. yeah. He's not like one of the, he's not just a monster. He's not just like, I'm just out to, he's not stalking the woods, like trying to find people to murder. What's interesting about him as a killer is that he doesn't actually go looking for murder. The murderer, (laughs) they all come to him. (laughs) And like this, like, and (laughs) to be honest, so they go looking for like Kirk and their name's Pam. Kirk and Pam go looking for the water in hole, which is dried up. They want to go swimming right up they find a the house and he's like oh we can get gas from here they knock on the door kirk's like relentlessly knocking on this door it's like no one is home kirk like imagine even in now if someone was on your door like hello you'd be like i either i'm home i don't answer the door or i'm not home like literally fuck off kirk's there like oh someone's it's like maybe you just leave like if kirk had just left at that point everything probably been fine but like kirk's like Hammer- then he opens he's like wandering into someone's house I'm like you know what <laughs> I'm not defending Leatherface but he gave him plenty of opportunity to leave like he he did not have to go all the way in Sounds there was like you were
0: defending Leatherface <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm just saying doesn't America have like stand your ground laws I'm like he's an intruder at this point but you know you're just like why are you? And this is because again, like what we're talking about, no one had stranger danger at that point. No one had had the fear of like the unknown. Mm-hmm. He's like, I feel like someone's in there, so I'm just gonna go. Cause it doesn't occur to him that maybe yes, someone's in there, but they don't want to see you, or they're not in a state to see you, or like I don't know, or they might be dangerous. So he goes all the way. He makes it all the way to like the the door on the way to the kitchen, and the lever. And I think well, out of panic. More than out of malice, Leatherface is like, ah, <laughs> with a mallet and, like, hits him. Because <laughs> he just seems a bit surprised. He's just a bit like, what are you doing in my house? <laughs> so that first murder, I'll give him, like, you know, I'm like, what would we do in that situation? If some, like, weirdo, like, guy had walked into my... For all we know, Leatherface was terrified. For all
0: we know, Leatherface was just tenderizing some meat. <laughs> and, like, a stranger was in his house, he
1: panicked, he hit him. I believe that story. And then Pam is like, well, where's Kirk now? And she's not like, maybe something happened to him and maybe I shouldn't go into this creepy house. Pam also fully goes in to like a different room. And I'm just like, why are you in the house? Why have you you found yourself? And then she finds a room that's basically like a couch made of bones and like there's all kinds of like ornaments are made of like human parts and stuff. Now, rather than, again... I would, at that point, yes, I'd be scared, but I think I'd be like, I'm going to quietly yep. leave. Yep.
0: Once he's seen anything made of bones, let's depart. Maybe
1: climb out mm-hmm. this window, because that's the closest way, and I'm probably not going to run into anybody.
0: Like, she's like, Wah! like If you go into anybody's house, and there is anything made out of nipples, or bones, or like, human hair, or human skin, maybe just quietly leave. Like you, 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 you're yeah, not, you're not like. Where did you get this? Like nipple lamp? Is this IKEA? No.
1: Maybe don't make any noise.
0: Like no, not even quite. PSA, guy
1: Like silently, leave silently. Please leave silently. If you stumble into a living room that is like got a couch made of bones in it, like just very silently, don't make any noise. Leave. Don't turn around. <laughs> get out of there as soon as humanly possible. But like yeah so I, I, and like his leather face is just like oh my another one so then he catches her she's seen the bones now what's he gonna do puts her on a meat hook which is like the i think the worst death the worst the most brutal like that's the worst thing that happens in it that's the one thing i'm just like oh my god i can't even i can like feel it in my back and then um And then who comes looking for them? Sally's boyfriend, who's the other guy, who is called Jerry. Jerry comes looking for Kirk and Pam, who have clearly been murdered. In this day and age, we'd be like, well, they're murdered. They're dead. So we're not going to go looking for them. We're going to, like, call somebody or, like, go somewhere that's not, like, a dark, abandoned house in Texas where someone's digging up graves. Let's go somewhere else where it's, like, I don't know, city lights and call for help. Um, but Jerry's like I'm just going to go wandering off into the wilderness and look for them and then he also he comes to the house and then he sees like I think like a towel that they left that they were carrying outside on the porch so then he also just goes in so rather than go I feel like something bad's happened because if they were here I don't know it would be like this weird he's like I'll go in (laughs) I'll be fine I'm Jerry I'll go in and then Leatherface also then has to murder him. He finds, he finds Pam in the freezer. And then Leatherface is like, "Well, fuck's sake, murder him. And then Leatherface murders him and then has to sit down. <laughs> Which might be my favorite part of Leatherface is overwhelmed. <laughs> He's overwhelmed with having to murder people. This was not his plan for today. And this is what I mean. Leatherface did not
0: need this today.
1: (laughs) He (laughs) wasn't This is not his day. He had things to do and now he's had to murder three people. He literally has to go sit down on the bone couch. Put his head in his hands and be like, oh my god, what the fuck's happening? Why do people keep turning up? It's like if like one Jehovah's Witness turned at your house and then all day, like like there's like ten Jehovah's Witnesses at your door and you're like, listen, I just didn't have this plan for today. I've been trying to, like, I've just, been, <laughs> I've not been saying anything when you've knocked on the door. I've literally not even come out. I've not said anything. I've hoped you've gone away. and <laughs> Instead, you've walked directly into my house.
0: And now I've, like, I've now I've made a mess. And now who's going to have to clean it up? And now this I've, guy. <laughs>
1: I've the door. I've made a mess. There's a person in the freezer. Like, Uh, It's just like, he's just, he's overwhelmed. He's literally just like, oh, he's like a reluctant murderer. He's literally just like, (laughs) I just wanted this, this one quiet day. No one's in. I had the house to myself and people just kept fucking walking in like literally what's the worst part of it is that people were knocking and banging on the door and he ignored it it's not like he even came out like well i'm gonna murder you he's like maybe if i don't say anything you'll go away <laughs> and they didn't and it's just the fact that you had to leave the kitchen area to sit down on a couch and be like i just don't know what to say about this i just don't know what to do like this is and it's just my favorite moment in in a horror film, maybe ever. <laughs> that he yeah, he has to take that. I don't. I can't think of any other killer that's had to be like, I've <sighs> done so many murders. And I, usually I love murder, but today, it wasn't. It wasn't on the cards. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm actually and I crying. I think that's what makes him go out and, like, kill Franklin. Because he's like, well, now I'm going to go look for the rest of them. Before, before the rest of them come walking into my house, I'm going to go take care of this. Because, no, I've had enough, actually. um, And I think, honestly, that's why he's out there. Because he's just like, I won't have this. I won't have this again. No. No. It's ridiculous. I, and, yeah, I love it.
0: I... <laughs> i'm name. absolutely absolutely dead there's the actual i'm really glad we're recording the zoom because there are actual tears like down my face <laughs>
1: <laughs> Look, if you've never watched this one please for the love of god like really specifically pay attention to this scene because it's something you miss <laughs> when you first watch it and then it's <laughs> rewatch you're like wait no what is what i want an expansion I want to hear a monologue in his head. I think I you've just know. written it. <laughs> <laughs> he is exasperated, and I'm like.
0: <laughs> but um, <laughs> I actually wanted to. <laughs> he usually loves murder, not not this day. But can we talk about okay. the the brand of violence in this film? Because I think it's one of those yeah. films that, I mean, it's its legacy and its influence is enormous probably like arguably one of the most influential horror films ever made and it still feels mm. very scary very kind of graphic but actually rewatching it like a lot of it is suggestion a lot of it is um montage mm. like it's it's editing and it's kind of this um this idea of kind of planting images in your head through the use of through the sound design and through the way they use editing yeah but the violence we see is actually not that explicit or brutal but it feels like it did you get that did you get that feeling of kind of rewatching it and feeling i think this is more violent i remember it being more violent than it actually is on screen
1: well i think it goes back to like
0: them making you
1: feel everything you feel that hook go into her back mm. from her face from her reaction to it You don't need to see it. And again, it's like like you're a voyeur. It's like as if you were watching it, right? So if you're watching it, you wouldn't like get a close-up of what the actual injury is. You'd see something happen and you'd be like, oh no, this is what's happening. So even like uh, Kurt getting hit in the head, he like kind of has this like, his body spasms uh, when he hits the floor and stuff like that. It's like all these really like real seeming, it's, it, that's what it is it seems more real the violence it doesn't feel like see like film violence it feels very realistic like even um Sally seeing Franklin get it cut up you see it from the back like him getting and it's just the horror of this thing and even your brain trying to catch up with what's happening like she literally doesn't know what's happening at this point someone's just literally come out the woods with a chainsaw and is chopping up her brother there's no time to think of like oh no my brother or what's going on or where's these other people it's just like pure Mm. terror and that's what you're Mm. feeling um in that moment and I think that's what's so smart about it they know you don't need exposition they don't need like close-ups or detail for it to be horrifying and the sound design like what I was saying the violence comes in like what you're hearing because it's like the um expectation of violence Sally running and her screaming and there being a constant sound of chainsaw not that far away is the violence because that's all you hear as well. The bit where she's at the table and it's close-ups of her eye and her taking everything in and her just being sweaty and panicked and too exhausted to even really fight at that point. Like kind of like squirming, but like she's exhausted and she's in shock. And what do you do? And it's like, yeah, because actually in reality, you wouldn't be functioning like a regular person you wouldn't your brain wouldn't be functioning like planning things out and thinking mm. clearly it would just put all these weird things you're experiencing and these weird noises, of the sharp strings they have at that point again that's where the violence comes in you're just like just everything you're witnessing mm. is violence it doesn't need to be bloody or gory because you're just you feel like a, a person in that situation. You feel like these people are acting like how you would behave mm-hmm. in that situation. Um, it's just kind of a, like, it, it comes out of nowhere and then it's over or it's like still happening, but you can't do anything about it. Like you're on a meat hook. Realistically, what are you going to do? You get hit in the head, like like out of nowhere. What are you going to do? Like someone comes at you with a chainsaw before you know what's happening, there's a chainsaw in your chest. Like, so I I, I, I think it just didn't need it and it's just such clever filmmaking to go it wouldn't look real if we showed any of that and mm-hmm. you just don't need it and our imaginations are always worse than than what anything actually is imagining mm-hmm. pain um is worse than having it trying to be detailed for you like imagining what something feels like because you see the face of an actress and go oh my god I I can imagine what that would feel like is is somehow worse than it just being like here's a bloody close-up of a hook in her back and her like trying to get off it or her like a long prolonged shot of like stuff he does to her and putting her in the freezer like you don't need to you know Mm -hmm. it's gonna be bad um so yeah I just think it's really clever
0: I think it was the first column that you wrote for for bloody women your column blood perfect was actually about Sally and I was rereading yes. it uh, earlier today before we started recording and and you mentioned there that you think that Sally is, is probably the best final girl in horror cinema. And I wanted to ask yeah. you kind of what do you think of of Sally and and why do you think she's the, the ultimate final girl?
1: Um it goes back to her being kind of non- Descripts like it, all of them being kind of, but even in comparison to Pam, Pam's wearing a sexier outfit. She's talking about like um horoscopes and like uh, you know uh, that kind of stuff, astrology. At the beginning, she's she has more memorable dia- like dialogue or conversation at the beginning. She's wearing like a a backless thing, and you know, and Sally's just kind of a blank, and you don't expect her to survive, and I like it because. I like Sally specifically because of that, but also because it all feels very human. Her reactions to everything just feel very human. Just She's just trying to survive like a person would. She doesn't have the tools. She's not smarter than anyone. She's not stronger than anyone. She's not trying to outsmart Leatherface or the hitchhiker or the dad guy. She is just, like, the minute Franklin's dead, dead, Sally is just trying to get away, which is the most realistic, I think, so few horror films allow their protagonist to do that to just be trying to escape not get revenge not like be smart to just be like i am gonna run in a direction and hopefully i find someone who can help me or i can get away and that's what that's it that's whole all of sally's thing um and from the first which she running from the chainsaw she comes to the barbecue place she's in shock she's like she doesn't know what's going on She's barely, like, functioning. And then she's caught again. She's like... And there's nothing for her to do. It's like, if she... There's nothing... There's no way for her to be smarter or to have got out of it. That was the closest place. Unfortunately, it's tied to, like, the rest of her, torment, her tormentors. But do I you mean, it's like... It's literally the closest place she can get to. It's what all of us would have done. Gone, oh, my God. He seemed like a normal guy, kind of, when we stopped here earlier. Um, He'll... For sure, help me. Why wouldn't he? How many of these people could there be? <laughs> like, and at this point, she doesn't even know the hitchhiker's attached, right? Like, she doesn't know he's attached to this family as well. So it just happens to be that every single person they've like met on this trip is connected in this horrible, horrifying way. Um, and she jumps through two windows, which is why she'll be forever my favourite. I'm like the fact that she is like, either I'll die or I'll be fine and I'll keep running. But the fact that she takes that risk, I'm like, yeah, because what else are you going to do? There's a window. You'll be trying to open it. She's just like, I'm going to hurl my body (laughs) through this window and we'll see what happens. I'm like, yes, yes, that is what we would be doing. Like, she, and I feel like, again, unlike other final girls, necessarily, she feels like she knows she Mm -hmm. might die. She's like, almost sure she's going to die, it feels like. It's purely chance it's purely like a luck of circumstances that means she gets away because I think she's like, she's running because she has nowhere else to do. But I don't think she thinks she's going to get away. And I love that. I love that she's allowed to be scared and human and not like super smart or strong or like outwitting anyone. She's just like, I don't know, I'm just going to run and jump through this window and see what happens and hopefully I get away. Even in the final part where she's running and the hitchhiker's slashing at her back, it feels inevitable that Mm -hmm. she's going to die. And she 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 makes it against all the odds she makes it. And I love that about her. I love that she laughs at the end. It's my favorite because I'm just like, yes, she's out of her mind. She's okay, but she's never going to be okay ever again. All her friends are dead. She watched her brother die. Horrific things have happened to her. And she's just laughing like a maniac because what else are you going to do?
0: It's hysterical laughter. And it's... All of that kind yes. of second part of the film that I mentioned before, kind of all the part from when she she supposedly runs to safety at the gas station barbecue place, from mm. the moment she realized she's not safe, in fact, she's landed right into the, the wolf's den, really. it's It's so hysterical, it's so visceral, because... Marilyn Burns seems, to plays Sally, seems to basically be screaming or trying to physically wriggle mm-hmm. out of being um, tied up or being hurt in some way for the remainder of the film. And that's like, I don't know, the second half of the film, like 40 minutes or something like that. And it's very because it does not stop when, she, when the grandpa, who is catatonic slash almost zombified, is trying to murder her by hitting her in the head with a mallet Mm. like she's cattle it it keeps going and she won't stop screaming and trying to wriggle out and it just keeps fucking going it's almost comical because of the the who they are who these murderers are but sally Mm. and that performance is so visceral it almost feels like she went into a fugue state and just would not stop yelling and screaming and and i know we're kind of making fun of of good boy leatherface and all of that but it it does feel so intense and it's completely Mm -hmm. vanity free like there is nothing about this that is titillating or pretty or easy to watch for anyone and it's pure survival instinct It's like, I will wiggle out in any way, shape, or form. It's essentially like a very animalistic performance that struck me as. Of someone who's like, I am caught in a place that I know is going to hurt me. I will, like, what's the thing that's going to hurt me the least? Just put as much distance between me and the danger as humanly possible. Even when she bumps into the, um, the truck driver at the end. She literally, she's like, she's happy to get run over if it means, like, potentially being saved she doesn't even talk she's just screaming at this guy and like thrusts open the door and like runs into there he's not really very eager to help her at all and when she finally like runs and and jumps onto the the truck with the truck that does not want to stop for her either he's like no get the fuck out of this this is trouble um it's it's almost like i don't i don't care there's no social norms anymore i don't need to have a conversation about this just get me the fuck out of here like there is nothing to discuss I just need to put as much distance between Leatherface and the chainsaw and myself. Everyone else couldn't give a fuck anymore. Like, it's pure survival. And it's like, it's so visceral. Yeah. And when he's... um, A lot of people talk about kind of that final shot of of Leatherface in frustration, wielding the chainsaw around and kind of having this like weird, frustrated dance and stuff. Mm. But it's sally running manically from one truck to another running through the woods running onto the the highway jumping onto the truck and then just like holding on for dear life being like oh my god is he is he gonna jump on is he gonna get me is this other guy the driver maybe also an extended cousin of the family or something but it just doesn't matter like it's so unthinking and pure survival instinct at that point it's it's so incredibly visceral like it's it's scary in a way that feels more graphic than it actually is but like you were mentioning between the sound and the performances and and the grainy almost documentary like-esque feel of it as well it feels like we're we're watching someone in in real turmoil
1: yeah it really does she's a like you said there's nothing she's a mess there is nothing pretty about it. She is covered in blood. She has been like hacked to pieces. All the things, like and like you said, I honestly don't even know how she did that performance. Like, when imagine just turning up to work every day and be like, so "You're just going to scream for like several hours today." We get different angles of this shot of you like screaming and being sweaty and covered in blood. It's like it would have been hell. Like it would have been a lot in mm-hmm. those scenes, and it's completely convincing. It's completely conv- Like like you said your mind would just be like i just need to get away it doesn't really matter how i just need to get as far away as possible from this house and this situation and like i love that she's not like i think in um other films make them not make the mistake but like other films are more keen to do stuff like uh, like asking questions like where's my family where's it's like i don't think your brain would be there when you're scared and i think if you know, if you've ever been like really scared in your life your brain just does not work like that. It's not logic. You're just like it well, it's fight or flight, right? You just you're just like I, I'm I'm working on autopilot almost at this point, and Sally so clearly is. She's just like I just need to get out. That's my only goal is to get out. And even when she jumps out the window at the end, so when they're trying to get the grandpa to hit her head with a little hammer thing to like kill her. And um she's screaming and stuff and wriggling. It's by chance that she actually like again, I partly feels like she doesn't really think she's going to escape. And um it's by chance that she actually realizes, and it's like you could just see it, like she realizes she's she can run. So she does and just she does not like, oh let me try run upstairs or try and this door. She's like, here's a window. <laughs> and she's out. Like she's like jumps out the window. And I love the shot where she lands on the ground, you're like behind her and you see her feet and you see her land and you realise it's daytime because you actually have no mm-hmm. sense of time and she wouldn't either. Like throughout the whole time she's in the house, she gets to the barbecue place at nighttime and she's brought back to the house and you have no sense of time. So it's even the fact that it's daytime, it's like, well, she's there's a feeling of like, well, she's made it this far. And like that's what I'm, they they really give you, like, you just feel like you're mm-hmm. with Sally. And like you said, it could have been any one of them. It just happens to be Sally. And it's just like, she's made it this far. It's daytime now. There's always a kind of a hope with daylight because there might be more cars on the road. You can see where you're going. You, I, There's loads of different like, things that give you a tiny bit more hope. And maybe that's what Spurs are on to actually do that actual final run down that drive to the road, even though like he's slashing at her back. But the idea this person... I can't even imagine how it would feel to be know you're being chased with a chainsaw. Like a knife is one thing. Like yes, you can be slashed with a knife; it's still incredibly scary. But you could survive that if you stay just enough far mm. enough ahead. If someone gets you with a chainsaw, <laughs> like
0: even a little bit, a little bit of chainsaw, it's still too much chainsaw.
1: <laughs> and like so the fact that she has someone literally slashing it back, but there's also someone running up with a chainsaw. But if they get close to her, that's it. What I mean about them not being small parts. There's that guy who's driving the big, the big mm-hmm. like lorry, like truck thing, and you don't even know he thought he like gets out with a spanner. It's like, what are you doing? Like, get Sally in and go. But he like tries to fight a little bit. But I, I love the characters. They've I been mean, like, you no, know, he's a whole person who has this different idea of what he's going to do in this situation. Um, there's literally not a part they haven't thought about as like a human being of like, what would you do if you saw this? You probably wouldn't do something incredibly logical. You'd just be like, mm-hmm. you panic a little bit.
0: You grab a wrench and you just throw it at the at the guy with the chainsaw. Right. And then mm-hmm. run away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> because you're like, I don't know what's going on. Like, because it's like, you don't know what's happening. And I love that they've made everyone just incredibly, like the guy in the trapped eventually escape with. Yeah, he's like a bit like, what the fuck? Absolutely not. Like because you're seeing this insane situation, you don't know what's going on, but you know there's a guy with a fucking chainsaw. Like I don't know, it's just um, it's just gorgeous. It's just so good. Um, yeah, and I I really and the big truck runs over the yes. hitchhiker guy, right? So he he as far as he knows, he's just run someone. He doesn't also doesn't even no. know the context of which he's he's run. He's definitely murdered, killed someone. And he doesn't even know, was he a bad guy? Was he a good guy? Who knows? <laughs> like, what's going on there? I'm like, I love that this is exactly, it would be this messy and this insane. It will not be this clear-cut rescue situation where she's definitely safe now. It's like, no, until she's actually driving away, that's why she starts laughing, because it's the first point where she actually mm-hmm. knows she's safe. Um, They can't catch catch up to the truck. This person tried to avoid it, so probably doesn't know them. And, and she's not actually okay. That's what I love about it. It's like, there's going to be a point where this is all sinking in <laughs> and it's just going to be horrifying. She's going to, have to explain to several people what's happened. She doesn't even know what happened to her friends. She can only explain what happened to her and what happened to Franklin. Her friends are just missing at this point. Um, And it's just going to be this insane, the next, the rest of her life is going to be bonkers.
0: The therapy bills are going to be insane for Sally.
1: Oh, my Lord. I don't even, even just sitting out explaining to the police, like, I don't even being in a hospital, you just be a bit like, I don't Um, want to talk about any of this. Like, even having to say stuff like, well, then I was bleeding and they put my finger in the grandpa's mouth um, and he sucked my finger for a while. And then I kind of lost a moment there. I don't really know what happened for a little bit. And then we're at the dinner table. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Leatherface was wearing a tie. He was really fussy about the dinner.
1: (laughs) Like, uh, he was really stressed. He was really overwhelmed, guys. Like, ah, really overwhelmed with the whole thing. Like, uh, just what... She hasn't even seen the, like... She didn't really see the, like, bone room. She ran upstairs at one point and saw the rotted grandma in the chair. But, like, imagine just trying to explain the details of this. Where there are so... For Sally especially, there are so many gaps. She hasn't experienced all the stuff that we've seen. So, like, there are actually a huge amount of gaps. And it's just, like, this is going to sound crazy, especially in Texas. They're going to be like, all right, love. Like, she's just some silly woman. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's, there's also... They, and they really give you an idea of the mentality, even the people there. Like, when they go to the graveyard, again, all the characters are so specific. They're very much, like, old-style mm-hmm. Texan men. They're all wearing, like... they like Mm -hmm. texts and hats and like speaking and and it's like they have a very specific way of being and like living and um it's going to be very hard for her from this point her like ordeal isn't actually over
0: to start wrapping up kind of we've mentioned the fact that this film is incredibly not just iconic, although that thre- that word gets thrown around a lot, but truly is. Um, but also incredibly influential, mm. regularly, consistently named as one of the greatest horror films ever made, and it has been name checked by a lot of subsequent filmmakers, including including like John Carpenter and and Wes Craven as being an influence mm. on their work as well. Uh, so it was influencing peers as well as people who came, you know, in future generations of horror filmmakers, but. I wanted to ask you: Do you did you notice or kind of what do you think are some of the, the tropes of the genre that Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of established or or birthed in this film? Things that have now become conventions and almost cliches, but that at that time and in this film were kind of original. The closest thing to original as we can as we can talk about.
1: Well, I think, like, the idea of, um, like, the weird hitchhiker. Mm -hmm. Even though he doesn't start murdering, I think the trope's kind of gone more to the side, like, you're going to pick up a hitchhiker, he's going to somehow be charming, and then he's going to murder all of you. But it's just, like, sometimes people who seem weird are weird. Um, It's a good lesson. It's a good lesson. (laughs) It's a good lesson to learn. And I think it's the idea of, like, I think that the idea of stranger danger in a film, of, like, yeah, that person who you probably shouldn't pick up, like, and I think stranger, he's like a literal, like, strange stranger, but I think it's kind of devolved into, like, the, oh, maybe he's cute, but he's still a stranger, but um, the idea of, of like, you shouldn't be so trusting, going into a a house that you don't know, like, a weird house, again, is probably weird, Um, and also the idea of, like, Small town folk, like the idea of like oh weird family, small town folk who live on their own. And if you accidentally venture into their patch, that's it for you. I think that's also a thing. It's established. Like I think it's like it reminds me of like the hills have eyes. Like stuff like that, where it's just like if you get close enough to this weird place, um, or also wrong turn, mm-hmm. the new wrong turn that's just come like like. Is like very much of that ilk as well of like, you just happen to go the wrong way. Also, the the killer who's faceless and relentless, like the stamina, <laughs> more props to Leatherface. But he's running through those woods, wielding a chainsaw. That's a lot, a lot of core time. work. Yeah. He's murdered three people that day. He's incredibly strong. He's... He, like, there's a, at the end, he even, like, the chainsaw falls on his leg and he's still able to get up and do this, like, chainsaw dance with it. This idea of this kind of inhuman, like, like strength yeah. and whatever that comes with a killer um, that's faceless and, you know, it's not anything you recognise mm-hmm. as a person is also something that's come from it. Like, he's so um, iconic in his, in that you know he's just he's not he's not everywhere in the same way other killers are but it's like that sound of a chainsaw coming for you and he's running for you he's not walking so he is running for you which is terrifying and he won't really stop the only reason he stops chasing sally in the beginning is because she gets to the the place that's the the gas place and the barbecue because he knows that the dad guy's gonna get her um And the idea that someone could be, you're exhausted, but there's someone who's holding a chainsaw and still running after you and won't stop is horrifying. And it, we see it, like that idea of someone relentlessly mm-hmm. coming for you all the time, um who's stronger than you, who, I don't know, knows the woods better than you. So I think all those things, we see that idea like come up um I think quite a lot of being trapped in a house or like stumbling into a room and finding something mm. horrifying and like slowly realizing how bad your situation is by the things you're seeing around you. I think it's just there are so many moments you could pick like any scene from that film, I think, and find its like counterpart mm. in films now and like it be an inspiration for something now. Apart from no one does the overwhelm <laughs> murder enough for my
0: liking let's make that a trope
1: (laughs) someone do that please like no one's really using that part where they're like he just he does not meaning to like it's just how he was raised guys he's actually just overwhelmed
0: and 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 obviously the final goal trope which is much much studied and much written about not that it was kind of um a thing like that came a bit later with the carol clover book which i think is from the which is from the early 90s but In retrospect, they were talking about Sally as one of the original Final Girls, one of the prototypes for that. And there will be films later on um, in the next few years in the 70s and the mid 70s that will kind of completely solidify that trope. Um, And you can see that even a few years down the line with Halloween, this kind of relentless, faceless shape that is just a murder machine and doesn't really have a logical justification or reason for wanting to murder or go after kind of the specific people that he does but he does and he will not stop and almost cannot be killed and and the same thing with Leatherface and also kind of the the mask as well we haven't really spoken about the mask but the mask um the Leatherface literally that gives him his name is kind of a a sort of a kind of human-ish mask made out of leather, maybe made out of someone's literal face. Um and we never see him except for this one scene where there's quite a few close-ups of just his mouth and his eyes moving around and it's so intensely creepy because we just see the glimpses of the man behind the mask but we never actually see him. And this yeah. idea kind of of the mask killer who uses whose masks becomes much more iconic or at least synonymous with the with the killer itself, then will be replicated ad nauseum with slasher films to come, and and not even slasher films, like a ton of other kind of horror films that sit somewhere between the slasher and and other yeah. subgenres. Those are some of the things that I think are incredibly consistently imitated from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, as well as the kind yeah. of the weird the weird family, like the weird family dynamic of like let's yeah. kill together.
1: Yeah, we all do this as a family, and it's a normal thing we do. It's just like our culture, but like also, I just think, I what I do wish it, things did take away from it is that, like what we're saying about not being sexy. They they've made like final girls and like even killers like so like I don't know enticing in some ways and like way. it's like it doesn't need to be like no one actually needs to be sexy, especially mm. by the end of it. No one should be by the end of it, but like also. um, like, none of it's, nothing's glossy about this film. Nothing's like polished about it. And yeah, I kind of, I kind of wish that was something that was moving with it, this idea. And no one being special also, not the reason that this, per- this girl's being chased down is because she's special. It's like, no, she's just a regular girl trying to live her regular life and horrible things are happening to her, which I think is much scarier. Um, because we're all regular girls and actually that's like, much scarier the idea that which is real life horror right it could happen to any one of us um so yeah i kind of wish those are things that would start coming back a bit more um because that film does it so well it's right there like i don't know it's like and that's what makes it really that's really what makes it special it's 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 not it doesn't have any of the sexy things that newer films have i'm just like it's still mm-hmm. so special. There's a reason it's referenced so much and referred to so much, and the reason you can take so much from it and see where like a lot of other films started, like with the ideas from. Yeah, I just think it's. I think it's almost perfect. I. W- I mean, if I was wasn't too scared to call anything perfect, I'd <laughs> say it was perfect, like a perfect horror film.
0: And before we wrap up, is there anything that you wanted to say about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre that we haven't covered in this conversation?
1: Um, watch it watch it again, watch it several times. If you have watched it already, there's so much, there's so much uh, detail in there. It's actually kind of amazing. And it's honestly just, I think, a beautiful example of a really amazing film work, film work that doesn't, probably didn't cost a huge amount. It's just beautiful filmmaking. It's just really good performance acting. And it's what like horror films I don't know should aspire to be a lot a lot of horror films, not all horror films, but like it's a good thing to aspire to be if you can do that, if you can get those performances, if you can create that feeling and also with sound design like every element matters, every character matters, I think it's just across the board well rounded, and they've really made the most of the story and what they're doing with it and what they've got yeah i just I just adore it, I adore that. Even the fact, I mean, even the fact that it's, they have a character who's in a wheelchair in it, I can't even think, really, of other films. And also, he's a full character. It's not about him being in a real. He's Franklin's annoying. That's his character. He just also happens to be it. And I was like, the fact that they were doing this at this time, they're like, yeah, this is also a thing. Um, is just, uh, and again, they don't make him special because of it. It's just like, he's a brother.
0: He's yeah, this guy. that's it.
1: <laughs> this is part of his life. Yeah, and uh, I just think, and I feel like it must have been risky. It must have felt mm-hmm. risky at the time to make that film. You wouldn't. I would. I can't imagine I had any idea how that had been received, and that it would have the legacy it has now. And I just feel like that should be a cue for other directors to like take that same risk. Um, to do what you want to make the film you actually want to to make the characters you actually want what you want to and it will come through to trust that to trust actors to trust performance to trust your sound design to trust your like story because audience is smart they'll get it they don't need huge like you know exposition they don't need detailed backstory they don't need your characters to be like these specific tropes they can just be people um and I think it's a testament to that what a
0: beautiful note to end on um Isara, thank you so much for your time and for your insights. So as per usual, where can people find more of your work online? You can follow me at Isara
1: underscore HBB or underscore BB. (laughs) It's BB. Which one is it? (laughs) BB. (laughs) Got it. Um, That's on Twitter. And you can follow me at Isara on Instagram. (laughs) I've really forgotten all their social media. I'm like. (laughs) <laughs> on that other app um uh which at the moment is mostly pictures of me in a castle but there'll be other postings about stuff um and also you can find me on the final Girls website um under their bloody women film journal um with my column and other writing my column's called bloody perfect and yeah that's where you'll find me everywhere.
0: And I will link to your wonderfully written article about Sally in the show notes. so Everybody go read yes, that. Yes.
1: My first ever bloody perfect column, which was like the most fun to write. So, yeah. and
0: it was perfect.
1: <laughs> I also talk about it in the first thing I ever wrote for the final girls, which was the um, Psych- Psycho Killers Prefer Blondes, which yes. is about final girls and them not being black. But I think I mentioned Sally in it.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Pleasure as always.